Are we all good? I need to find two passages because sometimes they're a bit hard to find and we're going to sort of have a look at both of them. First one is Numbers chapter 13. And the other one is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you get your Bible app, you've got a challenge, but that's all right. Numbers in the first, so Genesis, Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers, 13. And then 1 Samuel, you go on a few more books. If you hit Psalms, you've gone too far. If you've got your Kings, you've got Chronicles, Samuel's just before all that. And you've got 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. I want to talk today about seeing right. Because it's always good to see right, isn't it? And left. All right, turn to the person next to you and say, I am awake. Now turn to the person on the other side and say, I'm ready to receive everything God's got for me. So bring it on, baby. If you do the bring it on baby, then you get a bit more enthusiastic, you know, so it's bring it on baby. (laughs) Oh no, Shara Honkin. (laughs) I need more space. I um, was down, Dale and I were down watching the boys play soccer yesterday and um, we're watching Ben's team. Are they the Pumas or the Cheetahs? You're the Pumas, all right, and you want one. Um, the Pumas. And they were out there, they were a full side, and they had um, a couple of extra players. And they were playing, I mean, normally when I, we go and watch our boys play, they tend to be playing boys who are bigger. But yesterday, Ben played a side that was probably almost half his size. It was quite funny when they line up, because they line up to get their boots checked before they start the game. And, and they're all lined up on one side, and the other side were all these other kids who looked almost like half their size, except for their one player. And we sort of chuckled and thought, you know, this is going to be an easy game. Um, and it wasn't. And they were out there and these little kids just ran and ran and ran. And Ben's team was like always second to the ball, which is never a good thing. They just looked flat, um, tired, you know. We're sort of standing on the side as parents going, do we need coffee? You know, if someone got coffee, we can give these kids because they just weren't kicked in. And I guess it really stood out so much. I mean, they ended up winning like 1-0. And the goal was literally five minutes from the end of the game. And they were lucky that the opposition didn't score because of how they played. And it was such a contrast to the week before. Because the week before, um, Ben's team rocked up and they were playing the top side. And so the Cheetahs, Ben's team, had nine players. Normally you play with 11 and a couple of subs. Sorry? The Pumas, sorry, I get it right. The Pumas. Cheetah's little one, yeah, okay. But the Pumas were out there and they had nine players. Normally you have 11 players on the field and a couple of subs, but he had people away that week and so there was nine of them. And they were playing the top side. The top side had a full side of 11. They had two subs on the bench. The top side had never lost a game. They'd been undefeated all season. Um, Last time Ben played them, it was 3-0 at half time. And they got out there, but, but what amazed me, I didn't realise Ben was, was short until after the game. We took a team photo and 
I thought, oh, we're the other players, but there was only nine of them. But Ben's team went out there and they had this determination. You know, they looked at the ladder, they're third on the ladder, and they thought, we want to play finals. We have to win to play finals. And they went out there and they played like a team and they played together and they played with such belief that you really didn't realise that there were only nine of them out there, that they didn't have a sum. They just ran and they ran and they ran for each other and they worked for each other and by half time it was one all. You know, and that coach pulled them in and, and, you know, gave them a good old pep talk and everything else and they went out in the second half and they ended up winning the game 2-1. And the other side was ropeable. Their parents were upset because they hadn't lost a game all season so it was a new thing for them, you know. But the Puma guys, they just went and they went and they went, even though they're undermanned, even though there was every reason to believe that they were going to be defeated, that history said they didn't have a chance of winning, that this side had beaten and win with their full side, that history said that this side always wins. They went out there and they believed in themselves and they won. And that was a contrast to yesterday because their opponents believed in themselves and they ran. And they didn't win, but they got unlucky, their opponents. They were unlucky. You know, and it wasn't until Ben's side started going, hold on, we have to do something here, that they started to run for each other, that they started to, to be first to the ball, and they ended up getting over. And it got me thinking about the power of, of seeing right, the power of believing who you are in God. You know, last week, his side believed they could do it. It didn't matter what anyone else said. They believed they could do it. It didn't matter what the opposition said. It didn't matter. They believed that even though they were undermanned, they could win. They had no reason to believe except that they knew themselves. I mean, last season, because it's pretty well the same size as he had last, last year, but last year, the moment a goal was scored against them, they'd all drop their heads and the game was over. And it's really cool because we got like they got Chilean kids on their team, kids from Chile and and um, other Spanish countries and so on. And so I get to talk to all the dads who are real soccer fanatic, mad guys. You know, it's everything's all about soccer. And so we chat at training, you know, while the guys are training and um, during the games. And you know, and and they all will comment on the power of belief and the difference this year that their skills necessarily haven't gone up a great amount. They've improved, but it's their belief. It's the thinking behind them that I am going to get that ball and I'm going to do what I need to do. And, you, and watch it particularly in their defense, that their defender guys will get in there and they will stand and they'll do a second effort and a third effort, whereas last year, if they were beaten, they just let it go and they'd get scored against. But now it's no, we're going to get in there and we're going to stop this and we're going to keep going and keep going. And <clears throat> you know, I'm watching... In particular, one of their guys up in the fence who last year, if he got the ball around half, halfway, he'd almost take a shot because he didn't believe he could keep going. This year, he's running. He, he'll try and get around players. He'll have a go and he's starting to score more goals because there's a belief within them that they can do better. You know, even to take Ben. I mean, he's gone, I'm going to run out these games. And so he started running during the week and he's running like 10Ks a couple of times a week. Because there's a belief that we can do this. And it's a change in how they think. And it really got me thinking that the power 
in life is how you think. Proverbs says how you think is how you are. That if you lose the battle in your mind, you've lost the battle. And I want to look at a couple of illustrations in, in the Bible of that. And the first one is in Numbers 13, where we have the Israelites. And, and I had to laugh at what um, Rhea said today about, about Ashton. You know, he said the Ashtons, he says, these guys were stupid. <laughs> Didn't they know they had God? <laughs> and they kept messing up. We can say the same things. Don't we know we've got God? And yet we keep messing up. We keep not believing in ourselves. We keep doing the same thing. And in, in chapter 13, it's the first time the Israelites, and they've come to the promised land. They've come out of Egypt. They've done their wandering. They've only been going a short time. They come to the promised land, and they're there. And verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, and, and the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. So they've already won. God says, I'm giving this to you, it's yours. Go and spy it out, get ready to take it over. That's pretty cool, yeah? So from each tribe, and so Moses goes through and, and he goes through the tribes and he chooses one from each tribe. Twelve tribes, he has twelve spies. And verse 17, Then Moses sent them out to spy at the land of Canaan and said, Go up this way to the south and go up in the mountains and see what the land is like. Have a look and see whether the people are strong. He says, have a look at the whole place so we can put together a strategy to be able to take this land. Verse 21, so they went up and they spied out the land. And they went through the south and they came to Hebron. Where are we? Now I've lost my place. Where we want to be. Anyway, verse 25. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So for 40 days, the spies walked through that land. They had a look at everything. And it says that they went and they cut off a cluster of grapes and they had to put it on a pole and two of them carry it. That's some big grapes, yeah? Like seriously, can you imagine having to press that? <laughs> Be like jumping on a whole grape. Imagine the wine you'd get from that. You know, they... And they said, yes, they came back and they went, you know what? This land is flowing with milk and honey. It's like God said. He was right. And then they added the buts. Now, the only time a but is good if you go but God. And there's a lot of those illustrations. You know, but God delivered me. But God did this. Anytime... God does not follow your butt, you've got a problem. Because it means you need a kick in the butt. Because they go, but. In verse 33 it says, They saw the giants, they were descendants of Anak, who came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers, where? In our own eyes. Not in anyone else's, in our own eyes. We saw ourselves like grasshoppers. We saw ourselves like they were so big, we were just little grasshoppers hopping around on the ground. We were insignificant. We were there to be trodden on. We were there to be pushed out the door. And it goes on to say, and so we were in their sight. How you think about yourself, how you see yourself, is how others will see you. 
If you see yourself as small and insignificant and I can't, guess what? You're right. That's how you are. Because if that's how you see yourself, that's how others will see you. And you see, too often we think people think of us in a certain way and so then we start to think of ourselves that way. And so we do it. I always think it's funny when I go, when I go into training situations because I've been training you know, Certificate 4 and Diplomas in Leadership and Management, they call the course now. And I always find the first couple of sessions are really interesting because the first time I go in, I meet a class and usually they're, they're some sort of corporate group. Um, you know, I've done insurance companies and banks and places like that. And they've usually got 12 or 15 people there, sometimes up to 20, and, and they're all people wanting to step up in their management. So they come and do this training. And we do usually one-day session a month, then they go away, they do assignments and stuff, and they come back the next month. And we do this for about 10 or 12 months. And I always find in the first one, I come in and I tell them about myself so they know who I am. And, you know, you spend the first half an hour getting to know people. And when they hear that I'm a, a pastor of a church... I can feel their estimation of me drop. Every time, I just feel it across the room. They go, I mean, I can talk about everything else I've done and it doesn't matter. I could have told them I was the president of the United States. It wouldn't have mattered. The moment I said that I was a pastor of a church, it just goes like this. Just drop in the room. And this whole thought of, oh, what can we get from you? Because that is their view of a pastor, that it's someone who just works with people who don't have anything, who, who's always around, it's always small, it's always insignificant, that I have nothing to offer them who want to be the big corporate high flyers. And I have a choice at that time, every time I do that course. I have a choice to either meet their expectations or to change their expectations. And if I did not think of myself as who I am in God, it would be easy, really easy, just by the atmosphere in the room to sort of slink back into my hole and just do the course material and work my way out of there and that's it. But I have found that because I don't think of myself like that, because I know who I am in God, because I know who God made me, that I know that the best leadership principles are actually found in the Bible, that the best management anyone can do, they all come out of the Bible, that I stand up there with confidence and I keep going. And I have not failed in 10 years of doing this to have the whole room by the second session embraced in what I'm doing. In fact, The last couple of courses, I've actually had them sitting down for half a day planning out how to start a new church as one of their their challenges. And I've only ever had one person complain about it. And it wasn't really a complaint. It was like, well, it's not really relevant because I'm Muslim. But I had fun doing it. That's the only time I had that. Because you see, if I lower myself to what they think of me and what I think they think of me, then I'm defeated. But if I stand up and go, I don't really care what you think. 
because greater is he than me than he that is in you. I serve the almighty God who says I can go through and I can dwell in the land of milk and honey, that I can eat the great big grapes, that I am under his goodness and favor and he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the ruler, he is the almighty leader and he's my dad. And when I stand on that truth, and sometimes I have to remind myself of that truth, because you're really, you know, people wear on their faces how they think. And you see this sort of, oh, I thought this was going to be good. I thought I was going to get something out of this. You have a choice. The Israelites had that choice. They'd had 40 days of God telling them, God speaking into them, God saying, hey, this is who you are. This is who your God is. I will fight the fight for you. I will give you the victory. They just come out of Egypt where they're in slavery for 400 years. And God said, let me bring you out, but let me show you how I'm going to bring you out. It's not through someone being brilliant. I'm going to show you that I am the almighty God and I fight for you. They saw the water turn the blood. They saw the plagues. They saw the Egyptian firstborn die. And they walked out by plundering those who had oppressed them. They took their gold. They took their clothing. They took the good things when they came out. They came to the Red Sea. Yeah, they got afraid. But they saw a wall of fire protect them from the Egyptian army. They saw the Red Sea part. They walked across on dry land. Then they saw the whole Egyptian army get wiped out in the Red Sea. They had good reason to rejoice. They had good reason to have confidence that God could take care of a couple of giants. But see, the problem was they weren't looking forward. They were too busy looking back. Because what's the first thing they did? When the spies said, this is how we were, did the people all go, stone the spies, they've got it wrong, no, God's with us, no. You know what they did? They said in verse 4, chapter 14, let us select the leader and go back to Egypt. You see, they saw themselves in the context of slavery. They didn't see themselves as free. They saw how they were and that defined how they saw life. They didn't see who they actually were at that point in God. They didn't know who they were. And you need to know who you are if you want to step into what God has for you. You need to have an image in your head of who God has made you. And the only way you get that is by hanging out with God. You know, of the, ten, of the 12 spies... Ten said, let's go back. Two said, let's stay. Joshua was one of those two, and he eventually became their leader. How could Joshua do that? How could he be the guy that stands up and says, no, let's go in? He said, yes, there's giants there. Everything they've said is true. There's giants there. Yes, it's flowing with milk and honey. The fruit is fantastic. We bought some back for you. Eat it up. It's really good. Sure, it's mountainous territory. Sure, their cities are fortified. Yes, they're big, but God, 
He will give us the victory. How can Joshua say that when everybody else is saying, no, 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 we can't beat them? The key is found further back. Where it says that Moses came out of the tent of meeting, meeting with God, and Joshua went in. He would go in and hang out with God. And when he hung out with God, there was less of him, more of God. He knew who he was in God because he hung out with God. Because he spent time meditating on who God was. He spent meditating on the word of God, that as Moses would get the word of God and write it down, Joshua would take it in. He'd read it. He'd spend time discovering who God actually was. And as he discovered who God was, he discovered who he was. You see, you can't find who you really are without God. You know, some of the most wealthiest people, people who have achieved great things, still out there and attempt suicide. Because even though they've done great things in life, as they see it, they still don't understand who they are in God. Because they've done it out of their own strength. And they haven't really changed the image of who they are. You can only change the image of who you are with God. Because when you understand who God is, we understand who we are. David's a good example of that. He's a brilliant example. He's a guy who faced a giant. You go to 1 Samuel 17. Now, David was a nobody. you really got to understand that. I mean, David was so insignificant to those around him that when, when Samuel rocks up to David's house, you know, Saul's messed up. And um, God says, I'm going to anoint myself a new king. So he says to Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. I'll show you who it is. So he rocks up to Jesse's house, who's David's father. And, uh, and he's there and he says to Jesse, call all your sons in, your whole family. Bring them in. We're going to have a feast. God's got a plan. So Jesse invites all his sons in, except David. David was so insignificant to his own family. They didn't even invite him. They could have, should have had a servant out there taking care of the sheep, and David should have come in. But he was so insignificant to his father and to his brothers. Their view of him was so low, they didn't even invite him in to the family barbecue. And so he's out there. So Samuel goes through and... Each of the sons come before him, and God goes, no, 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 no. And he gets to the last son, and Samuel must be going, I've missed it. I've got it wrong. Because he's at the last son. He doesn't know that David's out there somewhere. But see, Samuel also knows who he is in God. And he's not intimidated by the situation in front of him. Gets to the last one, and he says to Jesse, is this it? And Jesse goes, well, there's David, you know, but he's out there with the sheep. He's just David. He's not even worth coming in. But see, God saw David. Because what was David doing when he was out there? He was writing the Psalms. He was hanging out in the presence of God. And as he discovered who God was, he discovered who he was. And God changed his image of himself from what his family said he was to who he is in God. Even as a young kid, 
God changed his image because he hung out with God. And so he comes in, he gets anointed king, and he gets out there and he faces Goliath. Now understand, even in facing Goliath, the army's out there and David's brothers are out there fighting, you know, and they're all going off to fight. And Jesse's father says, David, take some food down to your brothers. It's a servant's job. But David's given the servant's job. Go on, take some food down, feed your brothers. So he goes down and does it. And he gets down there and Goliath comes out and, you know, the Israelites are on one side of the valley and the Philistines are on the other. And Goliath came out and he's yelling at them all. And he says, let's not worry about having a big fight. I'll tell you what, you bring out your best fight, Israelites. Bring out your best guy. He and I will go hand to hand and the winner... They're the winner of the whole battle. Let's not kill a whole lot of people. Let's just do it this way. Because Goliath was big. And the Israelites, these who have the living God, these who have seen God do miracle after miracle in their life, what do they do? They run back into their tents and hide. Not even their king is prepared to stand up and fight for the people. And David rocks up when Goliath is doing one of his rants of, yeah, come on, bring out your best. I'll take him on. And he says, who's going to fight this guy? I'll take him on. He's nothing. And his brothers, do they go, yes, yes, go, David. You've been anointed king. No. What do they say? What the heck are you doing here? Who's looking after your sheep? You're just the little shepherd servant. Why aren't you out there looking after? You shouldn't even be here. Be quiet. And David's got a choice again. Does he slink off back home? He says, no. I'll take this guy. I took the bear. I took a lion. This is nothing to them. Because it's not me that fights, it's my God. So then there's a second hurdle because he goes in and, and he's taken to Saul and Saul says, well, how are you going to fight? And he tells him the story of the lion and the bear and Saul says, okay. So Saul puts his armor on David. Now Saul's like really tall. David isn't. And he puts the armor on and it doesn't fit. And it's another time for David to go, hmm, do I do this God's way or the way I see everyone else doing it? And he takes off the armor and says, that's not, that's not the way it's going to be. God's going to win this battle. And they would have looked at him and said, are you sure, man? That guy's, you know, that sword, that hits you. You want some protection. You want something between you and him. David said, no, I'm okay with just my normal clothes. Because it's God's battle, not mine. I can't win this. doesn't matter what I'm wearing. It's not about me. It's about God. And they would have pushed against him. Because remember, if David loses... They lose. So their life is in his hands. The pressure's on. But he stands strong because he knows who he is in God. He knows it's not about him, it's about God. And so he goes down and he gets his stones and, and David's out there facing Goliath and the third test comes. Because Goliath was a big boy. He was taller than this ceiling. I mean, he had a guy that walked with him, that carried his shield for him. And he was a big boy that carried the shield because it was a big shield. He had to have a couple of helpers just to carry his stuff around. And as he comes out and he faces Goliath, 
Goliath then starts to yell at him. I don't know if you've seen big people yell. Usually it's quite loud. And he's out there and he calls David a dog. I'm going to feed your bones. He starts to try and intimidate him. And it's worked with the rest of the Israelite army, remember, that they're scared. But David looks at him and says, it's not about me. It's about my God. It's about my God. My God will deliver you to me. See, it's not, I'm going to take your head off. He didn't get into a slinging match with him. He just simply said, my God will deliver you to me. And God did. You see, how you see yourself is determined by how much time you spend with God. If you do not hang out in God's presence, if you are not filling your life with God's word, then you will not have the right image. You will not be the overcomer that he made you to be. We live in a world that says, busy, busy, strive, strive, do more, do more. We have a God who actually says the opposite. He says, I'll bless you without toil. Do you know that? He says, I want to deliver good things into you. But he says, you know how you get all your needs met? He says, it's really simple. He says, seek me first. And my way of doing things. How do you know God's way of doing things? That's what righteousness is. It's God's way of doing things. How do you know God's way of doing things? By spending time with him. I know Dale's way of doing things because we hang out together. Our kids know our way as a family of doing things because we spend time with each other. You know, if you come into our family and you decide to, you want to be a part of our family, we go, fantastic. This is how we do it. When people come into the church here and they come and meet with us as an assembly, we don't do things the way a lot of churches do things. One, we meet in a house. Two, we drink coffee before church. And after church and any other time in between if we could, right? Three, we don't have a projector with words up on the wall. Now, if you spend time with us, then you'll find our way of doing things, yeah? You work out whether it's where you want to be or not. It's the same with God. As you spend time with him, you will find his way of doing things. You'll find how he sees you. You'll find how he sees life. And it will change how you act. It will change what you do. And it will change how you see the world around you. And when people speak stuff against you, you will know it is not right. Because you know who you are in God. You know what his word says about you. And the world will try and intimidate you. They will try and push you down. They will try and tell you that you're not good enough. Because if they can push you down, then they lift themselves up and that's their way. But this is how Jesus could go around and he could serve. That's why he told his followers, you want to be great in my kingdom? Be the least. Because he says it's not about the things that you do. It's not about the achievements you have. It's about who you are in me. And he says, and when you take the least place at the table, when you serve others, I exalt you. Because you do it out of love for me and you serve me. 
But that comes out of that relationship. That comes out of spending time with God. That's where we prosper. That's where we change our view of ourselves. That's where we overcome. Not by running around. Spending time in God's presence. Hanging out with him. Changing how we see ourselves so we see ourselves as God sees us because we know who he is. And when we know who he is, we know who we are. We're not grasshoppers. You're not a little ant. You're not insignificant. You're a child of the Most High God. You're a prince and a princess. You are made to rule and reign. You're made to overcome. In fact, you already have overcome. I want to encourage you. Embrace more of God. Make that decision. The best thing you can do every day is hang out with Jesus. Everything else is insignificant. Everything else is just busyness. Hang out with Jesus. And as you do that, it will change how you go about your day. It will take the stress off. Yes, the pressure is going to come if you start doing that. People are going to want your time. They're going to put demands on it. They're going to tell you you can't do it, that you're, you can't rise up, that you're insignificant. Just hang out with God. When you hang out with him, you discover who he is. You discover who you are and you step into what he has for you. And the toil goes off and the blessing comes on. Yeah? Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are magnificent. That you are the great and mighty God. That there's none like you. Lord, that no one can even attempt to reach your lofty standards because you're above everything. You have created all things. And I want to thank you that you made us your children, that you chose us to walk with you. You chose us to be in relationship with you, that you made us the head and not the tail. You made us above and not beneath. Lord, you even said that we're winners and not losers. We're successes and not failures. Lord, I pray for each person here, Lord, that we get a hunger, a stirring to be more in your presence, to know you more, to go deeper into you, to get that revelation of who you are so we can understand who we are, that we can step into all you have for us so you're glorified through us. We want to bless you. We want to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.